you for being here this morning. If you're not aware, our pastor's out and on vacation. He's in Colorado, and uh, we'll be back next Sunday, I promise you. So you don't have to plan anything to do next Sunday instead of coming to church. Just be here if you would. We're down an awful lot. You can tell that that he's gone this morning. Look at the crowd. <laughs> it's down quite a bit. Of course, I know we've got some off at camp, and that's that's great. But I'm glad that you're here this morning. <clears throat> How many of you are baseball fans? How many of you are football fans? How many of you are a fan of all sports or any sport? A lot of hands raised up, okay. What does it mean to be a fan? If you're a fan of Texas Rangers, what does that mean? I want to talk about this morning whether you're a fan or are you a follower. Now think about that for a moment because I'm going to give you some things to think about very seriously in your life. Are you a fan or are you a follower? Have you made a decision for Jesus or have you committed to Jesus a difference? Have you made a decision for him or have you committed to him? Many people have made a decision to believe in Jesus without making a commitment to know him. Now listen to what I'm saying because you can get confused a little bit here and think one overrides the other, but there's a distinct difference here that I'm talking about. And it's very obvious to us. What is a fan? What is a fan? If you're a fan and you, you go to every ball game, he's the person that sits there and cheers irregardless. He's the person that's there when the doors are open and he, he hoops and hollers and has a good time. We're all fans to a certain degree and something. And we put our all into it when we do. The gospel allows for no such distinction between a decision to believe in Jesus without making a commitment to Him. Scriptures don't allow that. I mean, you study it and you'll see it doesn't. When we decide to believe in Jesus without making a commitment to Him, to follow Him, we are becoming nothing more than a fan of Jesus. If we have, if we have decided to believe in Jesus, but yet without making any commitment you know what it means to be committed, don't you? To be committed to Him, if that's what's happened, we've become nothing more than just a fan. The most basic definition of a fan that you'll find in the dictionary says this, an enthusiastic admirer, an enthusiastic admirer. A fan never breaks a sweat. A fan never takes a hard hit in the open field. He knows all the players and can rattle off all their statistics. He knows everything about them. He doesn't know the player. He yells and he cheers. Nothing is really required of a fan. No sacrifice has to be made. The truth is, I guess, as excited as he might seem, if the team is cheering for, 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 for starts to let him down and has a few off games off the season, if that... If that team begins to fall short, that fan begins to be less involved. Have you ever noticed that? Have you ever noticed that when your team, quote, your team begins to lose, your actions begin to show it. 
Are you an enthusiastic admirer? Jesus has a lot of fans these days, <clears throat> fans who cheer for him when things are going well, people who will walk away when it's, it's a difficult season, things are going tough. We're not so much of a fan of Jesus. Fans who sit safely in the stands cheering for Jesus but never get involved but they know nothing of the sacrifice that it put that team on the field. They know nothing of the sacrifice and the pain that people have gone through to be the player that you like so well. You can expect that person to jump off the fan wagon, if you please, if you please, and begin cheering for some other team because he is an enthusiastic admirer, and that's it. Fans of Jesus who know all about him, but they don't know him. You know anyone like that? You know anyone who knows an awful lot about Jesus, but really has never committed their life to them? There's a great deal of difference, folks. There's a great deal of difference in how you act and react, and what you do and what you don't do. There's a lot of folks that are gone today. Why? I'm not, I'm not complaining here. I mean, I don't know why they're gone. Starting pitcher is not here today. You notice that? Why are not the pews full? What's going on? Are we living in a world that's full of admirers, fans, who can come and go as they please, do as they please, and still be a fan? So I'm going to ask, are you a fan or a follower? I've got to ask that because that's what God wants me to do this morning. Which one are you this morning? Which one can you truthfully say that you are? It's time, I think, for all of us to define the relationship that we have with God. What kind of relationship do you really and truly have with Jesus Christ? Is he just someone that's been mentioned? Is he... Someone the preacher preaches about. What are, what are the measurements that you use to define your relationship with Christ? Why do you say, I have a relationship with Jesus? Why would you say, I am a fan of Christ? Or I am a follower? Two different things. Which are you this morning? You have to answer that for yourself. You have to come up with a, with a reason why. Why, what are the measurements that you take in your own life that indicate that you have a relationship with Christ? There's a lot of cultural comparisons that's out there in the world today. We, have you noticed that when we compare ourselves as a way to measure our relationship with Christ, we, we really and truly we compare ourselves to other people? Have you noticed how that goes? Well, I'm not like so-and-so, or I'm a little better than this one or that. At least I do this, or at least I do that. I don't go there. I don't do that. We almost always put ourselves up against those people who are a little bit spiritual anemic. And I'm not being ugly there. We're all anemic from time to time. We really are. What happens here 
in the scripture I want to share with you out of Luke chapter 7. I'd like to read verses 43 through 50. If they're on the screen, if they're not, just follow along with me, please. This is the story of Jesus being invited by Simon to his house. Simon is the Pharisee. He's the one that uh, knows the scriptures very much. He's very well educated. He invited Jesus to come to his house with his friends and have, have a meal. And so Jesus comes. But someone else hears about this. This young lady hears about it. And she comes also uninvited. Let me take up in verse 40. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. This is what happened at their meal that night. As it was a custom, when you were invited in as, a, as someone for a dinner guest, when you arrived, they give you water to wash your feet. Dusty place. They didn't have shoes like we have today. They give them, they put water on their head to refresh them or oil. They kissed them on the cheek as a way of greeting, showing their affection and their love for them and for their, for their the joy to have them in their home. And as he begins to speak after, after the meal started and this young lady comes and sits down beside him, Listen to what the Scripture says. In verse 40, Jesus answered Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two men owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him a 500 denaro and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he canceled the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? And Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled. And Jesus looks at him and says, you have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet. But she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss. But this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put on oil on my head. But she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore I tell you, Her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Go in peace. What happened here is not an accidental oversight. We might want to put it in that category because it makes us feel better to put it that way, but this is not an accidental oversight on the part of Simon. This was quite deliberate. Jesus was ignored and insulted. Can I say that again? Jesus was ignored and insulted. 
Don't miss the irony of this moment in, in the Scripture. Don't miss this. It's just too precious. It really and truly is. Simon has spent his life studying the Scriptures. We're not talking about just some Joe Blow out there. We're talking about Simon, the Pharisee. He had, he had spent his life, by the time he was 12 years of age, he had the first 12 books of the Bible memorized. By the time he was 15, he had memorized the entire Old Testament. He had committed to memory the more than 300 prophecies about the coming of the Messiah. Here's a man who had knowledge. He had knowledge of God. He had knowledge of who Jesus was. He knew who he was. Unfortunately, it doesn't seem like he knew him, though. Amen? Does it? Yet he doesn't realize that the Messiah who sits in his in his house, at his table, with his hand that hadn't been kissed, feet that hadn't been washed, and a, and a head that hadn't been anointed, realized this is the Messiah. This is Jesus. He's just kind of taking the seat of a fan. He knew all about Jesus, but he didn't know him. We all know about Jesus. Do we really know him? I'm not questioning that. I am questioning, but that's for you to answer. Do we really know who he is? Do we really know who Christ really is? Do we know what he's done? Do we know what he's done for us as individuals? He knew all about him. This woman was so desperate to see Jesus again, and she overheard someone saying that Jesus was going to Simon's house. For dinner. No one would never be invited to that. She wouldn't. She knew that. If you think about what it took for her to walk into that courtyard, so focused on Jesus, with all intention of focusing her attention to Christ, that she forgets all about herself. She's desperate to express the love and the affection that she has for Christ. She feels for him. She has a love for him. What she does next is reckless, totally reckless. It's impulsive. It's inappropriate. And it's exactly the kind of follower Jesus wants. Amen? Jesus wants us to be the kind of follower that will let no exceptions stand in our way of worshiping the God we know who saved us. What stands in our way? What stands in your way or mine from time to time? What do we let come and stand between us and our commitment? Hopefully it's a commitment to Christ. She let nothing stand in her way. Let me ask you some questions. You'll see them up here on the screen. They're in your worship guide too. Number one there, these are questions for you to answer. Have you made a decision for Jesus or have you committed to Jesus? It's a question, have you? Have you just made a decision for Jesus? That don't mean you got saved. That means you made a decision. I know who Jesus is. The preacher told me he's the one that died on the cross. I know him. I know Jesus. Are you committed to Him? Are you committed to Him? 
Have you made a decision for him? Or have you committed to Jesus? There is a difference. There's a great difference there. You have to think about it a little bit, but I think you'll agree with it. There's a little bit of difference in this. Many have made a decision to believe in Jesus without making a commitment to follow him. Go where Jesus wants you to go. Well, I do the best I can. I follow the best I can. Is it really the best you can? The gospel allows for no such distinction. I want you to know that. Search it from one end to the other. I promise you, I challenge you, you can't find where God allows us to know Christ but not commit to Him. I know Him. I go to church every Sunday, whatever you want. I didn't ask you where you went to church. I'm asking you, do you know Jesus? Have you ever committed your life to Jesus? Have you ever made that decision to ask Christ to come into your heart? And He came and the Holy Spirit came in to reside and you know you belong to Him. From that moment on, when God's Spirit comes to live within you, you are committed to do what God wants you to do. That's part of the, part of the, that's part of it. That's the Christian life. I know a lot about people in the world. You, you know, I don't want to bring up politics here, but I, you know, I know the president. Someone, don't hold that against me, some of you. I, but I, know, I don't know him. I know who he is. And I'm certainly not committed. I, don't, I can't be committed to somebody I don't know. Is that right? We've got to know Christ. Do you know him? When we decide to believe in Jesus without making a commitment to follow him, We've become nothing more than just a fan of Jesus. Just a fan. Question number two. Do you just know about Jesus or you do you really know him? You say you asked that while ago, yeah. But here it is, I want you to answer it to yourself. Fans have a tendency to confuse their knowledge of God for their intimacy with him. The problem isn't knowledge. At all. The problem is that you can have knowledge. You you can have knowledge without having an intimate relationship with Christ. Some of you may be biblically knowledgeable and know more about the Scripture and what the Scripture says than, than some of us who've been studying all our life. You can know what the Scripture says, but if you don't have an intimate relationship with the author... With the Son of God, you're not really a follower. You're a fan. Think about that. What do we do when we're a fan of something? We give it at our all, don't we? Most of the time, we give it everything we have. I'm as big a sports fan as anybody in this place. And there are a lot of fans following a lot of different sports out there, and that's great. I try to follow them kind of a... Kind of given at our house on at night once we get through watching whatever program we're watching and it's pretty close to bedtime or getting close. Sharon said, you read. I, I mean, I'll read. I know you want to watch the ball game. So, oh, I get to go to the ball game because I'm a fan. I'm a fan. I'm not there, but I'm a fan. <clears throat> Number three. Is Jesus one of many? Or is he just one and only? 
Jesus makes it very clear that he will not share your affections. You say, well, he's kind of selfish, isn't he? Yeah. Because he's done for you and he's done for me what no one else could do. No one else in all of creation can do what Christ did for you and for me. Don't you think we owe him something? We owe him some allegiance. Something about us ought to be totally sold on to Christ. He makes it clear that he will not share your affections. Following him requires the whole heart. The whole heart. The things that you put closest to your heart, you, you, you pressure, you, you, you protect those things. They're precious to you. You put them close to your heart. I'm not going to ask you to do this, but I can prove that if you open your wallet. Take your wallet out and open it up. Look at the pictures in there. Who are they? They're the ones you are committed to. The ones you're totally consumed with. I know, because i got pictures all over my office at home. Most all of them, are, they're all members of our family. They're precious. Like the things that disappoint us, the things that excite us can also point to something or to someone that is in competition with Jesus. Be careful. Be careful. I'll say that again. The things that disappoint us, the things that that excite us, can also point to someone or something that's in competition with Jesus in our lives. Be careful. What stands in the way of my commitment to Christ? I'll remind us again, nothing stood in Christ's way. Sin, as dark as it was and as bad as it was, stood between, but Christ died for it took it, cast it into hell, and opened up the door for you and for me to be committed to Him. Anything that stands in the way when we say, I love Jesus, I know Him, I'm sold out to Him, there's a lot of things that we measure there. Think about them. Let's say this another way. Jesus won't share you with another lover. She won't share me, and I wouldn't share her with somebody else. In Christ, the same way. We love Him because of what He done for us. He done more for us than anyone else, but He won't share us. He don't share us. Question number four. Are you more focused on the outside or the inside? The main problem I think Jesus had with these religious leaders is they were hypocrites. That's what he calls them in their face. Face to face, eight times in the Scriptures. He looks at the Pharisees and calls them hypocrites. Now, I don't know. I don't know everybody really well in here, but I think I know everybody well enough to know that if someone stood in your face and called you a hypocrite, you'd be just a little bit out of shape, wouldn't you? You'd be a little bit out of shape if you were a hypocrite, if you were called one. But he called these people eight times in the Scriptures, 
you hypocrites. Jesus doesn't expect expect you or me or he doesn't expect followers to be perfect. He's the only perfect person. He doesn't expect us to be perfect, but he does call us to be authentic. He wants us to be real about it. When we say I am committed to Christ, that's what he expects. And he knows. He knows when we are totally committed to him. Are we talking about being a fan or a follower of Christ? Which are we? Number five, if you're a self-employed fan, or are you a self-employed fan, or a spirit-filled followers? Let me read Acts chapter 1, verse 8 and 9 to you. says this, but you, well, back up, verse 7. He said to them, that is Jesus. He said to them, it's not this, the, uh, when Jesus was ascending. He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power, listen to it, but you will receive power, the Holy Spirit comes up on you, and you will be my witness in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Paul points out here in Acts that trying to live the Christian life out of your own power is ridiculous. You cannot. We cannot live it. We're pretending when we say we do if it's not real. What would a person do that, why would we do that? Why would we say that? Why would you walk somewhere when you can ride there? Why would we want to do that? I think there's a word that flips into my mind here that's called flexitarian. (laughs) Flexitarian. And I think that's a good way to describe how many people approach their commitment to Christ. Jesus never left open the option of selective commitment. It's not possible. It's not in the Scriptures. There is no exception clause in the Scripture at all. It's not there, folks. We have no exception. It's as Jesus said, or it's nothing else. Are you a fan? Are you a follower? Listen to this story. Listen close. On February the 10th, 2006, I was in control of my life, and I liked the direction things were going. I had a thriving practice, two sons and a devoted wife. On February the 11th, everything changed. I was heading out to my hunting cabin where I had planned to meet up with some friends and hunt wild boar. As I drove along, I could see the effects from the severe drought we had been experiencing. Everything seemed to have dried up and died. By the time I reached the road heading to the cabin, it was dark. As I turned, I missed the road and ended up in five feet of thick brush. I tried to free my truck by putting it in forward, then reverse repeatedly back and forth. 
the friction from that somehow ignited the brush. And within seconds, the truck was a large torch. I reached for the door, reached for the door handle to escape, but the electrical system had burned out and I was locked inside. Seconds later, the window exploded. I don't really know what happened after that. And I have no idea how I got out of the truck. The next thing I remember is walking down the road to the cabin, telling myself over and over, don't stop, keep going. Don't stop, keep going. When I reached the cabin, my friends thought I was wearing some kind of three-dimensional leafy hunting outfit. But it wasn't camouflage. It was shredded, charred skin. A medical flight helicopter took me to the burn unit where I was told I wouldn't have much of a face left and I would probably lose my sight as well as the use of my hands. God put an absolute hair halt to my life. He stopped it. I was so busy being so successful. I was on such a fast track that God was a part, was not a part of my life. But he was not the most important part. He was not on the throne of my heart or at the center of my universe. I was at the center. I don't believe God caused the fire, but I believe God allowed it because he wanted to get my attention. Like a parent who tries to get through a child, through to a child, God grabbed me by the shoulders, set me down and said, I want to, you to listen to me. This is, was the beginning of spiritual awakening in my life. Over the next four years, the doctors amputated seven fingers. I couldn't use what I, what was left on my hands or even the simplest of tasks. But the doctors said there was nothing more they could do. That's when my wife, Cindy, asked about the possibility of hand transplants. That began a time of waiting, testing, and prayer. We spent countless hours reading the Bible and praying together. Finally, the day for my double hand transplant arrived. Twenty surgeons and three anesthesiologists took 17 and a half hours to attach my new hands. Many people have pointed out that it was a miracle that I didn't die in the fire that day. That's true. But in a very real way, I did die. I did die in that fire. The man I was, I was, I was dead that day. I died. And God gave me a new life where I am not in control, but have turned the controls over to Him. I'm not in charge of my life anymore, but I have submitted everything to Jesus. Submitted and committed pretty close. Same thing. These days, my wife and I constantly pray to be used by God in any way He can, He wants to bring Him glory. It may sound crazy, but I would rather have gone through all of this pain and suffering and all of these challenges and have the relationship with Jesus that I have now than continued down the path I was on before an accident without that relationship 
My name is Rich Edwards, and I am not a fan. He's a follower of Christ. Sometimes fans often will confuse their admiration for devotion. You may be guilty there too. People like that mistake their knowledge of Jesus for being intimate with Him. Before we have a chance to make things more awkward, Jesus just wants to skip past the small talk and get right down to the point, folks. He looks you in the eye. He looks all of us in the eye and He says, It's time we define this relationship. He's saying to you and to me this morning, it's time for us to put a real concrete definition to our lives. Am I committed to Christ? Am I really committed to Him? Am I committed for Him to take control of my life? How do you want, how do you answer that? He wants to know how you feel about Him. Is your relationship with Jesus exclusive? What does that mean? I think that means there's none other. It's exclusively Him only. My relationship with Christ is exclusive. I don't have another Christ. I don't have another God in my life. That's what it says. It's just a casual weekend thing or it's moved past that. Is it just a casual weekend? I go to church on Sunday if I feel like it. If I'm, if I, if not, something's not better out there for me to do. If, if something doesn't happen, I, or whatever, I'll go. Or am I committed to be there unless God holds me back? Don't blame God for a lot of things in your life. What is exactly the level of your commitment this morning? What is your level of commitment? There's a fan out there. There's a follower. Are you a fantastic fan? (laughs) Or a fanatic fan? And a fantastic follower? What is it? Only you can answer that. In the four Gospels that tell of Christ's life, you'll find that Jesus says, Believe in me about five times. Believe in me. We know what that means. You care to guess how many times Jesus says in those same scriptures, follow me? In those same number of scriptures where he mentions believe in me, 25 times he says, follow me. Follow me. How important is that? Not saying that following is more important than believing. That's not what I'm saying. Don't get me wrong. What I'm saying is that the two are firmly connected together. One cannot live without the other. Amen? Cannot. You believe in Him, you will follow Him. If you know Him and try to follow, that will fall through. If you know Him and you believe in Him, And you know what He did for you. You accept what He did for you. 
then you will be a follower because the Spirit of God, when you believe in Him and commit yourself to Him, God's Spirit moves to live within your heart and life. He will tell you what to do and how to follow Christ. I promise you, He won't tell you. When you wake up on one morning, oh, sleep there while longer you deserve it. That, that's, that's, that's fruitless. That's silly stuff. Sometimes we don't want to do the things we do or don't do. But I'll tell you what, when we know Christ, when we believe in Him, we trust Him, the Spirit will only tell us the things... Somebody's going to have to say amen to this. We he will only tell us the things that God expects us to do. And that's why He's there. That's why God planted the Spirit of God within the heart and mind of a child of God. In Matthew chapter 15, verse... Oh, I think I got that. Verse 8, let me share this with you. It says, These people honor me with their lips, but with their hearts, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. Jesus described here the, fair, the way the Pharisees. These people honored him with their lips, but their hearts were far removed. Easiest thing in the world for us to raise our hand when we're asked, are you a Christian? Are you committed? Am I committed to what? You get what I'm talking about this morning? You get where Jesus is going in this? What he says? Why he says you're a fan or you're a follower? These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They talk a good game, but there's no commitment there. There's no commitment. These are these men had plenty of knowledge about God, the ones he's talking to here in Matthew. They had plenty of knowledge about who God is, who he, who he is. But they didn't really know him. They didn't really know him. And this is what often separates a fan from the follower is if they know Christ. Do you know Him? It's different between knowledge and intimacy. I can know all about Christ. I can tell you everything He done. I can't really remember everything in there, but I could, if I could, if I could remember everything in there about Jesus, I'd have full knowledge of Christ. But that would not be enough. That would not be enough until I began to believe in Him and follow Him. Follow His instructions. You know, when Jesus was invited over there at dinner, uh, one of the Pharisees named Simon that we read about in the beginning, most likely Simon extended this invitation after Jesus had finished teaching, and he happened to be in the crowd. And for Simon, having the visiting rabbi over for a meal 
would have been considered a religious merit for him. Been kind of a mark for him. He would have been thought of as a little special. Jesus should have been considered the honor, the guest of honor at this place for this meal. He should have been. But it quickly becomes apparent, I think, that Simon was spending time with Jesus out of a sense of duty instead of a desire to honor him. Think about that. Why do you serve? Why do you come? Why do you worship? Why do you claim to be a believer in Christ? What is it that motivates that? What is it that pushes that along in your life? What is it that separates the fan from the follower? It's the intimacy, knowing who Christ is. Once you know Him, friends, when He says go, you'll go. When He says yes, you'll say yes. When He says no, you will know. Where is your relationship this morning with Christ? If you're here this morning, or maybe you're here as an individual who never, ever made a personal commitment to Jesus Christ. Have you heard about it? You sat through many services and been asked how many, many times, do you know Christ? I'm not talking about do you know his name when you read it in here. Do you know Jesus? When you want to know more about a person, what do you do? You spend time with them, don't you? You start building a relationship with them. Are you a fan? Are you a follower? If you've just been a fan and you'd like to become a follower, it takes that moving from knowledge to intimacy to commitment to belief in Christ. Do you believe Jesus died on the cross? Not for everyone, but yes, for everyone. But if you hadn't have been here, he would have died for you only. Amen? He would have died for one. God didn't ask him to go and sacrifice himself on the cross for a couple of people or two or three. That All mankind. And God's got more blessings in store for his followers. For his dedicated, committed, intimate followers. He's got more blessings than you and I can count. He would love to bless you. He would love to lead and guide and guard and direct you. Let me ask you this. Have you been saved? Have you really made a commitment to Jesus? Don't don't consider coming to church as a commitment. Don't consider carrying a Bible around in your hand or owning one at home. I got 22 of them at home, but they don't, they didn't save me. It's not about, well, I go to so and so Sunday school class. Or when I can, if I don't have anything, I'll, I, no. Are you committed to Christ? Do you know Him and all the fullness of Him?
you're here this morning without Christ, let me encourage you to consider very strongly making a commitment to Him. Maybe you've been sitting in a pew here for years and you've really never moved into the category of commitment. Now's the time to do it. Because I ask you in the very beginning, I want you to determine today what measures you to be called a follower of Christ. Do you have those things in your life? Let's pray. Father, Father, we thank you. Gosh, we thank you, Lord, for this time together. We thank you, Lord, for your message from your word. We thank you for your love and your compassion to each of us. We thank you, Lord, you've given us a privilege and an opportunity to follow you. Father, I pray this morning if there's one in our midst that's never asked Christ to come into their heart, that, Lord, this will be the moment. All they have to do, as the Scripture says, just call upon the name of Jesus. Believe in your heart that Christ died on the cross. Ask him to come in and take control of your life. And then believe that he will. And he will. Father, we pray this morning, if there's one here this that away, they'll not let this day escape without it. I pray, Father, that you touch their lives. Father, for the rest of us that might be in here, and, and we have thought we were committed, but, Lord, we haven't really moved into that category of following Christ as we should. We pray, Father, this morning you speak to us. We'll be obedient to your word. Thank you, Father, for your blessings. Thank you, Lord, for what you do for each of us. We ask your blessings upon our our gathering this morning. Father, Father, would you be with everyone as they leave and go their separate ways. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.